Welcome to 5 at 8. I'm Mark Overman, and this morning I'm joined by Linda Carlisle. It's Tuesday, October 3rd, 2023. In this episode, we will talk about the Nobel Prize in Medicine, awarded to Catalin Carrico and Drew Weissman for their groundbreaking work on mRNA molecule modifications, the selling of petroleum by portfolio investors as crude prices approach $1.100 per barrel, concerns about the interference of satellites in low Earth orbit with astronomical observations, the uncertain future of China Evergrande's founder, Hui Kayan, as he faces investigation for suspected criminal behavior, and the European Union's proposed 5.0 billion euros military aid package for Ukraine amidst tensions with Russia. Story number one. Catalin Carrico and Drew Weissman were awarded the Nobel Prize in Medicine for their work on mRNA molecule modifications, as reported by Reuters. Their research showed that modifying mRNA molecules could prevent inflammatory responses, leading to the development of mRNA-based vaccines for COVID-19. This recognition came relatively quickly compared to the usual timeline for Nobel Prizes in medicine. The pandemic accelerated the development and approval of vaccines, highlighting the importance of innovative ideas and the need to expedite the process in times of crisis. The success of Carrico and Weissman's work, as stated by Reuters, has saved millions of lives, although the long-term effects of these vaccines are still being studied. Will you look at that, Linda? Catalin Carrico and Drew Weissman, the two brilliant minds behind the modification of lab-made mRNA, have won the Nobel Prize in medicine and it only took them 18 years since their groundbreaking work was published. It just goes to show that hard work and determination can indeed lead to success, even in the face of adversity. Their work has not only opened up new avenues for medicine, but also played a crucial role in the fight against COVID-19. It's quite a testament to the power of science, and more so, to the resilience of these two researchers. It's important to remember, though, that Kariko faced significant obstacles in her career, even being pushed out of academia due to difficulties in securing grants for her research. Yeah, it's a classic case of the underdog coming out on top. And it really highlights a problem in the scientific community, doesn't it? There seems to be a bias towards incremental science over innovative ideas that could potentially fail. But as we can see here, those are the ideas that can change the course of human history. The risk aversion and the slow pace of recognition for innovative work are concerning. It takes about 25 years on average for a published work to receive the Nobel Prize in medicine. This underlines a systemic issue that needs to be addressed. However, we should also consider the necessity of regulations designed to prevent patients from being harmed by experimental drugs. Well put, Linda. It's a delicate balance for sure. And speaking of balance, I think it's fascinating how the urgency of a crisis can tip the scales. Look at the accelerated production of penicillin during World War II or how the recent pandemic led to the development of billions of vaccines at a record pace. It's like there's a whole different set of rules when more is at stake. That's an insightful point, Mark. Crises tend to expedite innovation, but they also expose the vulnerabilities of the system. While the rapid pace of vaccine development has undoubtedly saved countless lives, we must also consider the potential side effects that may surface over time. The success of the approved vaccines with such limited side effects is quite fortunate, but that might not always be the case. True that, Linda. It's a double-edged sword, ain't it? Rapid innovation can be a game-changer, but it can also lead to unforeseen consequences. It's a fine line to walk, and we need to make sure we're doing it right. 
The last thing we want is for the cure to be worse than the disease. As we continue to harness the power of technology and science, it's essential to strike a balance between innovation and safety. Carrico and Weissman's achievement is a beacon of hope, but it also underscores the challenges we face in the pursuit of scientific progress. Their recognition is a timely reminder of the value of groundbreaking work, and hopefully it will inspire a rethinking of how we approach innovation in science. Story number two. Portfolio investors have sold 25 million barrels of petroleum as benchmark crude prices approach $100 per barrel, as reported by Reuters. Hedge funds and other money managers were net sellers for the first time in four weeks, after buying 155 million barrels since August 29th. While funds continued to purchase NYMEX and ICE WTI, they were net sellers of Brent. Fund managers were also significant sellers of U.S. gasoline and European gas oil. Investors have become cautious as prices rise above the long-run inflation-adjusted average and concerns about the economic outlook worsen. Hedge funds have also become bearish on the outlook for U.S. gas prices, despite progressive elimination of the large inventory surplus inherited from 2022. Could you believe it, Linda? Crude prices are inching towards a whopping $100 per barrel. Hedge funds and portfolio investors are riding this wave, but you've got to wonder if this trend can sustain long-term. Hmm, it indeed is a remarkable shift, Mark. And we can't ignore the fact that this aggressive buying spree has led to a decrease in crude inventories, especially around Cushing in Oklahoma. But there's also a flip side to this. The net position in Brent, for instance, indicates a high level of uncertainty about the future of prices. It's like walking on a tightrope, isn't it? On one hand, investors are building long positions to benefit from the inventory squeeze. On the other hand, Concerns over persistent inflation and an economic downturn have them on edge. And it's not just about crude oil. We're also looking at a bearish outlook for U.S. gas prices. Despite the progressive elimination of the large inventory surplus, investors are wary. It's interesting to see how these dynamics are shaping the energy market. Yeah, and let's not forget the role of climate predictions. The anticipated El Nino conditions could result in reduced heating demand and gas consumption this winter. That's another variable factoring into the investors' strategies. The potential for above-average temperatures and below-average gas consumption is keeping the hedge funds cautious. It's a complex scenario, and the ripple effects on the global economy will be significant. Story number three. According to the New York Times, astronomers are concerned that the Blue Walker 3 spacecraft, developed by AST Spacemobile, could be the first of many satellites in low Earth orbit that interfere with astronomical observations. Blue Walker 3, which aims to provide cellular coverage from space, has become one of the brightest objects in the sky, outshining stars in the Milky Way. This has heightened concerns about satellite mega-constellations, such as SpaceX's Starlink which already impact views of space from the ground. There are currently 18 planned constellations worldwide, with a total of half a million satellites planned for launch, posing a significant threat to astronomical research. Would you look at that, Linda? AST Spacemobile is pushing the boundaries with this Blue Walker 3 satellite. Imagine a whole network of orbital cell towers. The democratization of knowledge and information no matter where you live or work. Isn't that just amazing? Well, Mark, I agree that the intent of providing universal access to information is a noble one. But the implications of these mega-constellations are concerning. 
These satellites are turning out to be a major source of light pollution, interfering with astronomical observations and disrupting the natural beauty of our night sky. But isn't that a small price to pay for the benefits we're reaping? I mean, these satellites are helping bridge the digital divide, ensuring that people in the most remote corners of the world have access to the Internet. That's a game-changer, Linda! Yes, Mark, I understand the potential benefits, but we must also consider the costs. What AST is doing with Blue Walker 3, it's like building a skyscraper in the middle of a pristine, natural landscape. You might have great views from the top, but what about the impact on the environment and the local community? We're talking about a change that will affect every person on this planet and every generation to come. Well, I believe that's where innovation comes in, Linda. Just like we found ways to reduce the environmental impact of industries here on Earth, I'm sure we can find solutions for this satellite issue. Maybe we can develop technology to make these satellites less intrusive, or find ways to balance the needs of astronomers and the public. Mark, I wish I could share your optimism. But as of now, there are no regulations to prevent companies from launching these bright and voluminous satellites. And while some companies are making efforts to darken their satellites, they continue to launch them at a rapid pace. I think this issue calls for a serious discussion about the need for regulation and the preservation of our night sky as a shared natural heritage. Hmm. You do make a compelling point, Linda. It's a complex issue, and I agree, we need to strike a balance. But here's hoping technology and human innovation finds a way to make this work. After all, we're a species that has always reached for the stars, right? But let's not forget to appreciate and preserve the stars we're reaching for. Story number four. According to the New York Times, Hui Kayan, the founder of China Evergrande, once a symbol of China's economic rise, is now facing an uncertain future as he is being investigated by authorities for suspected criminal behavior. Evergrande, a real estate behemoth, amassed over $300 billion in debt and filed for bankruptcy protection in August. Hui's life story, from a poor village boy to a billionaire property magnate, captivated many. But the company's troubles began in 2020 when China's property market cooled. Buyers flocked to Evergrande apartments, but defaults on payments and mounting debts have led to protests and trading suspensions. Huawei's estimated wealth dropped from $43.8 billion to $3 billion. It's really something, Linda, how this whole Evergrande saga is unfolding. Hui Kayan, once celebrated as a symbol of China's economic rise, is now under investigation for suspected criminal behavior. What's your take on this? Yes. It's a stark reminder of the potential risks of aggressive expansion and heavy borrowing. Evergrande's case is a classic example of how a company's growth can be both dazzling and dangerous. Its rapid expansion was largely fueled by debt, which became unmanageable when the housing market cooled and spending on properties decreased due to the pandemic. Yes, it seems like their strategy of borrowing to fuel growth eventually backfired. But let's talk about the man at the center of it all, Hui Ka Yan. His rags-to-riches story has been well-documented. How do you think his personal narrative plays into this? Well, Mark, his story certainly humanizes the situation. Born into rural poverty, Hui's journey to becoming one of China's wealthiest people is nothing short of remarkable. On one hand, it highlights the opportunities presented by China's economic growth, but on the other, it underscores how closely tied personal fortunes can be to the broader economic and political environment.
That's a great point, Linda. And it seems like Hui Kaiyan was not just a bystander in China's economic growth, but also an active participant, right? His promise to transform rural villages into urbanized apartment towers was a part of the government's plan to move people from the countryside to the city. He was a key player in China's urbanization drive. His business model was aligned with the government's agenda. But it appears that his close ties with the party and his ambitious expansion plans might have led him to overextend himself, resulting in the financial crisis Evergrande is currently facing. So it's like a double-edged sword. On one side, you have this massive economic growth and urbanization, and on the other, you have the risk of overexpansion and debt. What are the lessons here, Linda, for other businesses? Well, Mark, one crucial lesson is the importance of sustainable growth. While aggressive expansion can lead to short-term gains, it's not always viable in the long run, especially if it's heavily reliant on debt. Another lesson is the importance of diversification. Evergrande ventured into various unrelated businesses, which also contributed to its financial instability. Lastly, businesses must also be aware of the broader economic and political environment in which they operate. As we've seen with Evergrande, changes in government policy or market conditions can have significant impacts. Story number five. The Guardian reports that the European Union, EU, has proposed a 5.0 billion euros military aid package for Ukraine after a meeting between EU foreign ministers and Ukraine's president, Volodymyr Zelensky. The aid package includes training for fighter pilots and deepening ties between EU and Ukrainian defense companies. The EU's High Representative for Foreign Affairs, Josip Borrell, condemned Russia as brutal and inhumane and stated that the bloc remained committed to helping Ukraine defeat Russia. The pledge of military assistance comes after a bumpy few days for Ukraine, including setbacks and external political support. Ukraine is hoping for further commitments, such as F-16 jets from the Netherlands and Denmark, Taurus long-range cruise missiles from Germany, and ATAC-MS missiles from the U.S. The EU will publish a report in November on Ukraine's progress in required reforms as part of the membership negotiation process. Is it just me, or is the EU really stepping up its game here? I mean, a 5.0 billion euros military aid package, training for fighter pilots and deepening ties with the Ukrainian defense companies. That's a significant commitment. It's a clear demonstration of solidarity and support, and it sends a strong message to Russia. Yes, Mark. It seems like the EU is taking a firm stand. But let's not forget that military aid can be a double-edged sword. The escalation of violence might further destabilize the region and lead to more suffering for the Ukrainian people. While the intentions seem noble, I'm afraid this might exacerbate the situation. Well, Linda, I see where you're coming from, but in this case, Ukraine is defending itself against a brutal invasion. And as the saying goes, the best defense is a good offense. Without support, Ukraine would be left to fight a losing battle. I believe the EU's intervention is crucial here. I understand, Mark, but war is never simple. It's not just about winning or losing a battle. It's about the long-term consequences. It's about the cost of human life and the destruction of communities. Yes, Ukraine needs support, but the focus should be on diplomatic measures to de-escalate the conflict rather than fueling it with more weapons. I get what you're saying, Linda, but sometimes diplomacy just doesn't cut it, especially when you're dealing with an aggressor like Russia. They've shown time and again that they're not interested in peaceful negotiations. 
The EU's military aid gives Ukraine a fighting chance. I see your point, Mark, but let's also remember that this is not just a conflict between Ukraine and Russia. It's a complex geopolitical issue with far-reaching implications. The EU, while trying to help, may unintentionally escalate tensions with Russia, leading to a more volatile situation. While the immediate support seems necessary, we should also consider the potential long-term repercussions. That's it for this morning. Have a great day and see you all tomorrow. Five at Eight is researched, written, and performed by artificial intelligence. For more information, visit botcaster.ai.